So The Visitor is one of those episodes of Star Trek. Is it? I kind of figured it, it, it. it's a very different episode than anything we'd seen, I would say. I have a little bit of a different opinion, I think, than a lot of people on this episode. I, I admire it more than I like it. And I, I think that, that it's a really good episode of Star Trek. I don't know that it's a good episode of Deep Space Nine. Okay. Um, I would be interested in... Obviously, you will tell me all about why you think of that. But no, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I agree or disagree quite yet. Um, I think it's a kind of episode that tells us a couple of interesting things about Jake. I think that it does what what we learn about Jake. I don't necessarily like him better after having learned that. And well, what do you think it tells us about Jake? Well, I mean, because Jake, Jake is, we have to reckon with Jake as a character because, you know, for, for most of the show to this point, I think Jake was more a vehicle for, for Cisco and not a character in his, you know, he's not, he's a character, but he's not, I don't know. He doesn't have much of a, he's not a mink. He is still a secondary character. Yeah. And he's also just kind of. I don't know. He he's kind of a device for us to tell stories about father son relationships, and I don't know that he's necessarily a character in his own right. And that's not to say that well, he, he isn't a character, but this but episode would, is going a little ways towards making him a character. And I would say that this takes the him as a vehicle for uh, you know father son stories, and kind of comes with the nat- the obvious conclusions to that in a way. Um, in other words, when J- you know this episode shows that when Jake is not a part of father son stories, he kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that that this is an episode that again, I think what what I mean by this is a really good episode of Star Trek, and I don't know that it's necessarily a good episode of Deep Space Nine. Is that not that it's not a good episode of Deep Space Nine? No, I mean, no, is. in terms of writing and character, in terms of premise and plot and all of that, it's it's great. It's it's much more in the same way I think like something like the past tense two parter from from season three was was a really good you know stock Star Trek story. I think that this episode would slot in very easily. You could you could modify this story to be a next generation episode yeah. pretty easily. And this it, is you know make this about Wesley and Doctor Crusher. I don't think it would have worked nearly as well. No, 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 no. But I mean, it, but it, it, in the sense of you know, it's just that kind of relationship. Like there, uh, I don't know. I think that I think that you know, it's it's got a a sort of standard Star Trek construction to it. I think that it's got a sort of standard. You know, it's a high concept science fiction episode. Yeah. Obviously, it's doing some different things with the depth of characterization that Deep Space Nine has gone into, you know, because we've talked before about how, yes, TNG was a character-based drama, but at the same time, there was less of a continuity there or a conscious continuity. And so this episode, you know, it it does tell us some things about their relationship, about Jake and, and Ben's relationship. It does tell us about Jake. It also factors in a little bit with the meta plot, although... Obviously, this is probably not where things are going to yeah, go. In, in a lot of ways, it kind of goes out of its way to 
avoid dealing with the meta plot. I mean, we're told, you know, it doesn't really with, matter. We, well, with without Ben, the Klingons will take over the station, which is something we kind of maybe have figured anyway. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you, that, know, you know, whatever, whatever, whether that's relevant or not, we know that Nog is eventually going to go through Starfleet. But we kind of figured that he would do that anyway. This is probably not that. I mean, you obviously know what's going to go next. But as far as this point in time, you know, this is kind of what it seems like Nog is going towards anyway. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think that that's the least interesting part of the episode. Yeah. Though, because frankly, it doesn't matter all that much. Well, and, and, that, and that's I guess what they mean. Like other than that, they mention oh, those Dominion are still out there, and that's about as far as it figures. It's not like you know, which I mean, to a degree, we are going to see how whether or not Ben will be instrumental in the Dominion, you know, war, and assumedly. He will be, you know, because he's the main character, you know, of the show. So, yeah. But, you know, they don't really go in. It's not like, for example, okay, well, without Cisco, you know, the all of the Dominion come and take over, for example. If we had an alternate plot where, you know, Picard disappeared, for example, uh, it may be very possible that the Borg would have taken over. You know, in in that one with the all the multiple enterprises, you know, we see – how things would have been different in you well know. to to a very real degree, I think that this is the only alternate timeline that yeah. makes sense for this episode because of course you know this is very much a a focused singular episode on on the father son relationship yeah. of, of of jake and benjamin and it 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 would not have it would not have worked if what was going on in the universe galactically politically however you want to say yeah. it. It, it, that's not the primary focus of this episode. And so it would have been a distraction for them to say, oh, well, the, there was a giant war with yeah. you know, the Dominion and the Klingons and the Federation and whoever else. You know, this, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's, 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 it would be a distraction if that happened in this episode. And so they kind of allied that entirely by just kind of saying, oh, well, the Dominion never really did anything and the Klingons kind of did yeah. some stuff, but it didn't really happen that much and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of dispense with that because it's not really all that important to the episode. I think that, you know, for me, my I think the reaction that you have to this episode, I mean, it's very well written, it's very well acted. There's a there's a depth of feeling to it which is which is profound, and I think that it really does go to show you the ways in which Deep Space Nine, you know, I've talked before about how it does some interesting things with with the the, the black experiences, specifically yeah. in America, because this is an American television show. And, you know, uh, 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 Avery Brooks famously said about this episode that he really appreciated this episode in particular because seeing a loving relationship between between you know a black father and son yeah. is not something that we generally see in american popular culture so yeah that's all great i think that it's it's very very well done at the end of the day though i think that you have to look at it and you say what what am i getting out of this it's a very very personal uh story and and frankly you know yeah i can appreciate the relationship there but for me what would be the different i i guess that's the question what would be Imagine, you know, let's say there's an anthologized science fiction show. Every week it's a completely different cast of characters and premise and everything like that. Let's say we have an episode of that. We'll strip out the specific Dominion references, you know. There is very little that, you know, is tied to the meta plot. And just have it about a father-son, you know, father dies in an accident, you know, disappears in an accident. It would be the same show. 
there is, I yeah. guess, nothing inherently DS9 about it other than it's the you know the same cast. And Which, so it feels a lot smaller in a way. Is that a bad thing or not, I guess, is the question. No, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I, I, I sound a little more down on the episode than I yeah. am. I mean, I really do like this. Well, I, I said that I admire it more than I like it. I think that I, I, I it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I don't like it. You know, I, I do appreciate the episode. I do find some enjoyment out of it. But it's not... For me, the the outsized reputation that the visitor has in in relation to the rest of Deep Space Nine, hmm. you know, I think that for for all of its faults, I think that TNG is more than the sum of its parts. I think Deep Space Nine is more than the sum of its parts in the in the same way that I don't think Voyager Enterprise are more than okay. the sum of their parts. And I kind of use that as a benchmark for how I feel about something. Um, and, and, so, and I would definitely say that, you know, original series is vastly more than the sum of its parts, I would say. Absolutely. But, yeah. And, and so that's kind of where I, I go with the best of, of what I, what I think the best of something is. And, you know, for me, this episode, you're right. I think that it does feel very small. It, there are some elements to it that, that do feel very deep space nine, but at the end of the day, I feel like there's, there's an episode and I think in the sixth or the seventh season called Far Beyond the Stars, which also has a very outsized reputation. It's also a very different episode of Deep Space Nine than a standard episode. And that's another one that people point to as one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine, one of the best episodes of Star Trek. And for me, I feel like it does a little bit of a disservice to the, the grunt work that the writing staff and the production staff on Deep Space Nine and the acting staff, frankly, too, that really have... have They've built something different in the Star Trek universe and its storytelling style, and the visitor is 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 very much more what people expect of Star Trek or yeah. a version of Star Trek, and that's why I don't like the sort of this is one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever stuff because you know I mean I don't necessarily agree that I would think of it as I mean it's certainly a very striking episode I mean from the very beginning when you realize this is a flash forward they've never done a distant future flash forward like this uh not on this show at least yeah i, I oh yeah yeah but i'm trying to think if they've done that on any of the uh the uh, uh, uh star treks the closest is, is all good things yeah all good and, things yeah you know but yeah so then you know either way this is a very and that we even we didn't start there, you know what I mean? Like, this is a flashing back to the present while that was more of a... So, you know, from that level, from from the structure of this episode, it's very different. From the fact that it's focusing on a relatively minor character, you know, is different. But, I don't know, I, it's certainly a different episode, it's certainly a striking episode, but I think, the sh- but you're right, the show is at its best when it's creating something bigger and when it's taking what's come before and doing something, you know teasing out the implications of that or, you know, taking a further twists. I mean, this does have that dark, you know, ending where, you know, Jake commits suicide to save his father, you right. know, but beyond that, like... But it's also a reset button. And that, yeah. that, that was always the criticism of The Next Generation, that The Next Generation was, yeah. was a style of, of television show that you needed to go back to the, to the status quo at the end of each episode. And while I don't think that that criticism of The Next Generation is completely accurate, because as we talked about when we talked yeah. about that for a year and a half, it definitely did have a uh, 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 late serialization. There definitely were callbacks. Characters did change and grow. Not as much as they do in Deep Space Nine, obviously. And I think that we've already seen that in the first three seasons of the show. But for the most part, every episode of TNG that happened actually happened. Yes. And this is one of those, you know, 
that none of this ever actually really happened. You know, assumedly Jake is going to grow up to be fine. Yeah. You know, Benjamin Sisko is not going to die in the next episode. Uh, you know, like there. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to go over any particular. It's not. I doubt that for the rest of the series, you know, Ben is going to be having, you know, thinking, oh, God, if I die, Jake, you know, this is what's going to happen to Jake. Does he even remember this? I mean, that's kind of the open question at the end of the episode as well is, yeah. The implication is that, you know, Ben had a, you know, Ben would remember a 10 minute period for, you know, a 20 minute period where where he flashed and saw his son. And, you know, that would be continuous to him. But. You know, so so in other words, Ben has aged ten minutes more than you know everybody else has, let's say. But you know, it's not a significant amount of time. He didn't age sixty years, right? Right. I you know, and I also think that the the other, I don't know if it's a problem necessarily, but I think it is something that that puts a little bit of a distance between me and the episode is that Jake is not played by. You know, by by the actor who plays Jake, Sarah Lofton. Like, I think there yeah. is something about that as well, which makes it feel a little unreal. Uh, yeah, and it's the kind of thing where, number one, it would be hard enough to age Jake into his thirties, which is or why 40s. They, which is actually why they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you know, and, and so you know, you have to have Jake in. You know what is? It's about a sixty or seventy, at least, year period. Well, yeah, I mean, they it's say, but they say that this take this subspace, this wormhole inversion takes place every fifty years. Jake is about eighteen at this point, and so yeah, he, he would be sixty-eight at, at the end of the episode. So, yeah, it would be very difficult to make Sarah yeah age progressively. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough seeing. Uh, and what is the other actor's name? I looked Tony him Todd. Up. Yeah, he he was another thing. Yeah, he actually plays Worf's brother. Ah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, he does a very good job of it and maybe, you know, but yeah, I, I mean that, that's the, that's the problem that you always have when you have to deal with a story over, you know, a 50 to a hundred year period and you have to deal with aging makeup, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, but it's, I don't know. It's a hard episode to talk about because in a lot of ways, none of it matters. And what, what yeah. what's really at the core of it, and again, it's very well done. It's very well written. It's got a singular premise. But, you know, at the core of it, it is that emotional relationship that we have to these characters. And, you know, I think that Jake doesn't have the depth of characterization or the, the emotional connection it almost feels like the episode is trying to shortcut that kind of emotional yeah. connection that has been built up over the past three seasons with with Captain Sisko, with O'Brien, with Bashir, yeah, with yeah, yeah, Kira, yeah. with Odo, you know, and so with Dax and so with Quark. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out because, you know, they're all wonderful in their own ways. But and and so for me, it just feels like even Morn gets to uh, pat him on the shoulder. Morn, I don't know why you hate Morn. So I just much. I don't think it's a funny joke. No, I, just... I don't think he's funny. I just like Morn. No, it's that's the whole joke is he talks everyone's ear off, but he doesn't. No, that's talk not what I find funny about Morn. Okay. But uh... well, that's fine. You can find Morn funny. I don't care. Um, that that it, it there's something about it that just feels a little bit incomplete or a little bit like easy. I guess. Yeah, again, I think I feel like maybe if they had done this, again, it had been a standalone, and we wouldn't have to worry about the consequences of it, it would be, oddly enough, more enjoyable, you know, because we wouldn't have to, I don't know, 
Um, well, it's it's. I mean, I'm talking a lot about how I feel about it. I mean, for you coming into this episode, I mean, I I very much never say anything really about a lot of the episodes yeah. that are coming up for a very specific reason because I don't want to color your impressions or expectations or reaction to them by saying this well, is a very important episode of the show. But I thought this. Well, yeah, I thought this was a wonderful side trip. You know, in the grand scheme of things, was the is this something that's going to affect the deeper story of Deep Space Nine? Most likely not. I would be surprised if, you know, I would doubt, number one, that Cisco will tell his son about what happened. No. He's never going to, t- you know, this is a story that he's probably not going to tell anybody or maybe he'll tell, like, you know, he'll tell Dax what happened, you know, for example. But, you know, this is not going to go far. So it's, you know, I guess at the end of the day, that was a great story. But what was the point of it? Well, I think the point of it is the emotional the emotional connection. And I think the point of it is to tell us something about their relationship. You know, and I, 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 I think but it does a good job. But it's nothing that we didn't quite kind of know. I mean, we knew that, you know, Jake well, loves his father very much and would be devastated by the loss of him. I think devastated by the loss of him. But I think that there is a profound sense of sadness surrounding yeah. the entire arc of Jake's life when his father dies oh, when yeah. Jake is 18. Because, yeah, we know that they love each other. We know that they have a very close fatherly son relationship. Yeah, there's they, a... There's a there's a there's a filial love and respect there that is very profound and strong, and we've seen that over and over again in the show. But I, I don't think that we've I don't think that we really you know seeing Jake react to his father's death in this way, seeing it affect him so strongly, and you know the open question about the episode as well is. Would Jake be so single-minded in his efforts to get his father back if his father wasn't a ghost? Because that's the thing. I mean, he drifts aimlessly when his father initially dies, and then he sees him again, and then things are okay for a while. I mean, like, it's very clear that, you know, he has his career, he gets married. I mean, number one, the suggestion is that may even be what really does end up happening to Jake. It's very likely that he, you know, why wouldn't he end up meeting this woman? And, you know, why wouldn't he end up writing these books? And... You know, the thing that, you know, crashes it to hell is when the father appears the third time. Yeah. And at that point, you know, that's when he begins to develop and he loses. So, yes, the implication is without that, then, you know, he will give, you know, his father that grandchild. And, you know, he will write more books. And, you know, that will be Jake's life. You know, and to a certain degree, too, I think that it does make the other characters out to be a bit small minded because one of the things that we've talked about before about the fact that we both like is that Star Trek respects the the experiences of all of the cast members. Right. And so, like, if someone says something weird happened, you know, 99 percent of the time they're going to go, okay, something weird happened. I don't know what it is. I believe you. Let's figure this out. And they don't do that in this episode. Well, there is the part when, you know, he says, oh, Dax, humor in me, and she's scanned and everything. And, you know, that's him describing something, you know, that he, and fairly ruefully. So, you know, she probably did take it a little more seriously than he's implying. I don't know if she did, though. I I wonder about that, because to me, this is a universe where when something weird happens, they figure it out. Yes. And they don't figure it out. So how seriously did they actually take it? I know. There's the, you know, and that's, well, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, he's just, you know, yes, he is Ben Sisko's kid, and they all know him very well, you know, but... 
if he's gonna, you know, number one, they know him as Jake Cisco, Ben's kid. They yeah, don't that's know it. him as Jake Cisco, and they're not, you know, even though these characters are acting like family, they aren't family. So yeah, if Jake wants to be, you know, if Jake's gonna lose himself for a while, I mean, I'm surprised that he doesn't even get worse in this, you know, than he does. I mean, there is a darker version of this episode where he goes off and, you know. Starts doing drugs. Yeah, I was going to say he's he's goes and joins a rape gang. Like you know, there, there's plenty of things that can you know he can go bad for you know from this. The fact that he you know does bounce back and become a successful writer for a while is. But I also think that there is something about the the fact that Jake is able to just sort of bum around on Deep Space Nine and be oh, kind yeah. of lost for a while. That you know speaks to the 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 ways in which the Federation and the citizens of the Federation have, you know, privilege and advantages that people don't generally have because there's no question that Jake needs to pay the rent. There's no question that Jake needs to, yeah. you know, make a living. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he can just stay there yeah. and, and it's fine, you know, and then he'll go to earth and he'll go to the Pennington school and, you know, he and Nog will go off and, you know, cavort in new Orleans. But, you know, for the, for the most part, it's, it's just kind of a, a very soft, yeah. Uh, you know, did he have any therapy? Like how did this actually, you know? And I know that these are not the 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 point of the episode. These are not the questions, but to me the emotional core is the 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 most and the least interesting part of the episode at the same time. Yeah, I can see that. Um I don't know. Is this episode just about its plot then? Um cuz in a way it, it, I feel like it is about its mechanics, even though the episode goes out of its way to make its mechanics make no sense because that's not the point of it. But well, you know, interestingly enough, I think that I, I don't think that the plot matters nearly as much as perhaps we think it does. Hmm. And at the end of the day, this is another one of those episodes where main character dies at the beginning and we know he's not going to be dead by the end. But that's not the point. The episode does actually, I do appreciate the fact that the episode sidesteps that question entirely and does not make it the point, does not make it any kind of mystery. You know, he's going to come back at some point. And it's really about... Yeah, it's more about how. It's more about how. It's more about their journey, their relationship, and the strength of their connection and their love that is, you know... I mean, there's the, there, I think the thing that really gets me about this episode is that there is a deep sadness to their relationship that I don't yeah. think has been really uncovered to this point where, you know, Jake is so affected by the loss and then the, the return and the loss of his father that he completely un- upends his entire life. He loses his wife. He, he stops writing. He goes off and becomes a scientist, however realistic yeah. that is. I, you know, I don't think Jake has ever been someone that has had much scientific acumen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, for the, for the point of the episode, it's fine. And I can totally accept that someone like this who had this singular event yeah. and really wanted, could be driven to do this. You know, but, Jake is no Wesley, but he's a smart guy. So, yeah. But it, it makes it makes Jake out to be kind of brittle because. Well, yeah, that was it. Like he he's I mean, that's part of the point. Jake does not want Jake is not Starfleet. He's not Starfleet material. He doesn't want to be Starfleet material. He's an artist. So, yeah, he's going to be a little sensitive 
I mean, I guess maybe in a certain sense, this episode is important for sort of redefining the character of Jake yeah. in a way because he was the teenager, he was the pissant, you know. He, there, there, they certainly, you know, he was not a bad kid, and you know, but all these things. But but now he's becoming an adult. He's seventeen, eighteen, nineteen yeah. years old, and so the show has to reckon with him as a person more than it had in the past. And maybe this is the way the show is 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 starting to redefine the character of Jake a little bit by yeah you're right making him a sensitive artist i really enjoyed this episode you know watching it but this hasn't felt like it's had that much to sink our teeth into like it hasn't the rabbit hole hasn't gone in as deep for us as it you know can then again sometimes. we've been talking about it for almost a half hour so that's true that's true um yeah well i remember this episode in a couple weeks i think it i feel like i might quite well, not I, I asked you this question maybe to wrap this conversation up we can move on to hippocratic oath but do you get or do you understand why this episode has such yeah. a big reputation? Do you I mean this was I v- guess no. Was- I I mean this is you know in some ways it reminds me of the inner light in that it's an experience that doesn't actually happen. But you know But the inner light compare the two. I mean they're nothing alike. You the know, inner in light terms was, of a, import. was a beautiful dream episode and this is you know maybe that's maybe that's really the the that's the core of this episode, huh. I think, is that this is DS9's inner light. And the inner light was a beautiful meditation on the the, the importance of, of life and living and, and family. And this is a deeply sad and hollow look at someone who had their life destroyed by losing someone. And so if you can see the differences between the two shows, maybe this is how you see them. Maybe this is the difference. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is this didn't affect me nearly as much as Inner Light did. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, do, do you? I mean, do you get what I'm saying, though? I mean, do you think that there is a profound difference between the Inner Light and this episode? Yes, I do. I, I, I mean, I definitely do. That's that's the. I, I'm just saying in terms of you know structurally, you know, they they remind me of each other. But you know, I guess I'm not feeling with, with this episode. You know, I liked it watching it, having talked about it. I feel I'm less into it, and yeah, I don't know why it's as popular of an episode as it apparently is actually that surprises me you're telling me that i guess a lot of people have unresolved daddy issues well (laughs) that's fine they're allowed to (laughs) no i mean i think that might be part of it too you know i think that there is you know the inner light is a beautiful episode and it's you know it tells us a lot about picard and it's very life-affirming and all these things but you know this episode is not that i mean but i mean that's okay like it's no and it is okay if i had left this episode feeling like you know oh that was very poignant and oh how sad i feel for but that's not how i felt at the end of it i felt like okay this was a very interesting story yeah yeah, that could be. I mean, it, it, it the 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 emotional core of it might not not be hitting for you, and I I don't think it hits for me either. And I think that maybe is why I admire it more than I like it. Do you know if if that yeah. makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I think comparing it with with Hippocratic Oath is going to be interesting because I think that Hippocratic Oath is you know maybe this is our way to to transition out of talking about the the visitor. But I think that you know it's it's an interesting kind of it's an interesting episode to follow this up with because Hippocratic Oath is a very, very bog standard DS nine type story. It's got, you know, uh, 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 scenes that are telling us things about the meta plot. It definitely is doing some serialization. It's very much about 
the the tension that Deep Space Nine is having between the classic sort of TOS TNG, this is a paradise, every we respect all life kind of thing, and O'Brien's, you know, more attitude about this is all fucked and I don't care about any of this and let's just go back home. So, well, I mean, it's the, it's about the. Di- I loved this episode. Like, this one I really did. And No, it's a good Okay, episode. you want to talk about, you know, feeling hollow and a tragedy at the end? This this episode ended with a hollow tragedy. This end episode ended with, if the O'Brien-Bashir friendship is not irrevocably destroyed, it's going to have a long breach. Spoiler and alert, it's not. I mean, uh, 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 <laughs> uh, you know. It, it, you know, it's, it's one of those no, things where... No, I mean, I figure they're eventually going to patch it, but it's not like they're going to go back next episode to being best friends again. I, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I think that, that I don't know, sometimes I think that the, the serialization aspect of D- Deep Space Nine does get a little overplayed because at the end of the day, this episode ends, yes, it's a little more ambiguous than your bog standard TNG episode. Yeah, their relationship is going to be altered a little bit, but it, it's not something uh, that they're going to have a five or six episode arc about how they're slowly coming back to being well, friends. See, because to me, like, that's what this episode earned at the end because, you know, this— and Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering it, but— Because this ends—this is a very— there are a lot of unspoken tensions in the relationship between O'Brien and Bashir. Well, yeah, because O'Brien loves Bashir. Well, and likes him more than his wife, and he feels guilty about that. But at, no, but they're ripped apart because they are. This is about the difference in class between the two guys. And yeah, yeah. Um, this is one. You know, their entire time that they've been friends, they haven't had to worry about that. You know, to a degree. You know, the fact that O'Brien's a little older, settled, has more experience than Bashir, has kind of – has been able to mitigate most of their issues to this point. Now suddenly, you know, we deal with the concept of orders when the two of them have completely different attitudes about how to deal with this situation. And suddenly, you know, this is where, you know, even when things aren't having a problem, Bashir makes a joke like, oh, you're going to make a fine officer someday. That's probably the nastiest thing. That Bashir has ever said to O'Brien. I don't know though. I I mm. I have a different reaction to that scene. I don't think either of them were being real, and I think that that was all no. just play acting for the Jemadar's benefit. But, but 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 which if it if the episode didn't end in the way that it does, it would it would have just come across as that. To me, that's one of the first lines in when there when there is going to be a wedge between them. It is going to be a wedge at the fact that you know one is an officer and one is not. Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 I don't see it. And maybe that's partly because I know what comes after. Okay. I, I just, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I totally can get that interpretation of. I, I just, you know, for me, the the O'Brien-Bashir friendship at the end especially, I think, I don't know. I don't think that it's as brittle as you as you might think it is. And I think that, yeah, I think you're definitely right that there are some class issues at play. I think you're right that there are some some power gradations there that perhaps are not completely. Um, I mean, the fact that they're told, you know, that that thing at the end where, you know, he you know, the Jemadar commander says to O'Brien, well, you're a soldier, right? Explain it to him, you know. They're very yeah, clear. Bashir, yeah, Bashir's not a soldier. They're very clearly t- taken as different as, you know, one is a scientist, one is a soldier. And now, yes, I've, this is Star Trek. They're ultimately going to be able to, 
you know, rise above their differences and figure – you know, this is a society in which a scientist and a soldier can be very good friends. But we never had an episode of TNG ending on such an unresolved note between two men cast members. Yeah, that is true. And I guess, yeah. I guess you know, the reason, you know, this episode left me hollow is because this is a breach and it ends on that very dark note. I mean it's not even like, you know – Bashir saying, oh, yeah, I don't feel like, you know, playing darts this week, you know, maybe later. And, you know, Brian's, you know, not having that. Like, they can't even, you know, this has been a big event for them. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit hard to talk about just because, I don't know, their friendship doesn't really get breached. I mean, they're always friends. And I think that, that, you know, it's one of those things where if you look at it and you say, if you compare it to how the episode starts, right. And they're talking and, you know, Bashir uh, O'Brien's complaining about Keiko and the fact that he set up his workshop in their bedroom and how she thinks that, you know, that's a subconscious desire to push her out of their life. And, you know, Bashir is the one saying, no, actually that I think it's profoundly different because, you know, that means that you're actually want to be close to the place where you associate. But that's so bullshit too. Well, of course, you know, it is, but, uh, uh, but I think it's interesting that that you know the episode starts with O'Brien basically saying without saying it that he wants his wife to be more like Bashir. Yeah, you know, and there's I mean I, it, at a certain point it is a little sort of mid '90s too because I don't think that two people in the Federation in the 24th century would be that uncomfortable with the idea of bisexuality. But whatever. No, I, but, I you know to me I I O'Brien to me it was less about. You know, bisexuality and more. O'Brien doesn't want to admit that he really cares about Bashir in a brotherly way. I mean, that that's been there's been a couple. I don't know. I think that watching it this time, I think there's little more than brotherly stuff going on there. That's fair. I'm thinking about the scene, you know, the scene in a few episodes ago when they're drunk and you know, Bashir's like, try, you know, finding it hilarious, trying to get you know, oh yeah, you know, O'Brien to say he loves him, you know, and the closest he can get is I don't dislike you or something like that you know and you know i think you know to me it comes off more as o'brien becoming uncomfortable with expressing you know affection and bashir finding that funny but again here's another class difference oh yeah you know here is you know bashir is educated more educated you know probably you know and O'Brien's a working man. Not to say either of them are going to be any less cosmopolitan, but, you know. I mean, you know, O'Brien uh, in a lot of ways is, you know, the audience stand-in character yeah. on the show. And and he is, yeah, he's obviously a 24th century Federation citizen. He believes in blah, 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 the sanctity of life and all this stuff. Or does he? I don't know. I think that the, the Jem Hadar stuff is interesting, and we'll talk about that. Well. But, but, you know, I don't think that we can also ignore the fact that Bashir is a lot less pragmatic than O'Brien and O'Brien is just really kind of tired. He just, he doesn't want to deal with any of the the high level stuff. He doesn't want to make those decisions. He just wants to go home. He wants to do his job and go home. And if he gets into a situation like this where he gets kidnapped, well, I guess he gets, you know, POW kind of thing, really (laughs) kidnapped. He doesn't want to deal with this. He doesn't want to help the Jem Hadar. He doesn't give a shit about well, the sort of wider galactic implications of this. He just wants to go home and work in his workshop. But you see, I would say that he does want to make certain decisions. I mean, the fact that he, you know, when when he destroys the work, mm-hmm. that's him making the decision, you know, and him. But I think it's more of a decision on his part to 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 be 
I think a, a driving force to be realistic for Bashir and to say, you know what, this is not going to matter. I don't want to deal with this. We have an opportunity to leave. We're going to leave. Well, it's not so much that he doesn't want to deal with this, but he thinks it's the wrong thing to do. You know, that that's going to be the – it's not like yeah. he's – you know, it's not like he's telling Bashir, oh, don't help the Jemadar because, you know, I want to get home. I have I have a birdhouse I'm building or, you know, can't go. No, he doesn't want, you know – Sorry, I'm just thinking about O'Brien building a birdhouse. He did, didn't he? In that he built a birdhouse? No, didn't he build something? He for... built something. I don't know if he built a birdhouse. Oh, house. no, no, no. I was watching Roseanne and they built a birdhouse. Oh, okay. okay. That's, that's um, a little different. I'm getting them confused. Um, now I'm imagining John Goodman playing O'Brien. That could work. <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, it's not that he, you know, he thinks that helping the Jemadar is the wrong thing to do. What he thinks is that Bashir probably has some kind of Stockholm syndrome almost, or Bashir – because Bashir is a lot more naive. Bashir hasn't actually been to combat. Bashir didn't have buddies that, uh, you know, like O'Brien did who had been captured and tortured by the Cardassians, yeah, you know? Yeah, And so what he sees is they're – you know, they're captured by the enemy and they see – and he sees Bashir following hook, line, and sinker for a very charming enemy who is saying the right things, who knows how to manipulate him, who has all the right intelligence – and he, you know, he's trying to save Bashir from what he thinks is a very, very bad call. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that that you know that that's made explicit in the episode, of yeah. course, when they're having that conversation at one point, and and Bashir says, "Oh, well, this could really change the way that the you know they're not slaves to the Dominion yeah. anymore, and they can go off and you know become painters or whatever the fuck he says." And you know, Brian's like, "Yeah," or they might become like galactic marauders. And- well, that's because I mean, also remember a few. You know, uh, last season, we had a Jem'Hadar kid who was socialized so well. He was socialized by the Federation from the moment of his birth, and he still wanted to go. Yeah. You know, from O'Brien's point of view, yes, there may be – and, you know, even O'Brien might even admit that, yes, there is such a good thing as a Jem, a, such a thing as a good Jem'Hadar. We can have a Jem'Hadar who is, you know, nonviolent, is going to help us, just as we have a founder on our side, you know. Well – but. There are going to be plenty of Jem'Hadar who use this freedom to other things. And I, and I think that this – this, remember, this episode is also the first time that we get a name for that stuff that they're addicted yes. to, Ketracel White, in the Abandon, the episode with the baby Jem'Hadar. Yes, they don't it was know. just called some kind of enzyme. They didn't know what it was. And so you know, if, I think that, that you know, this episode is difficult to talk about. It's 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 a good episode to yeah. talk about. I think it's an important one for the for the evolution of the concept of the Jem'Hadar, the concept of the Vorda, the concept of of the founders and the Dominion. And now, who are the the Vorda? I got confused. Oh, so the Vorda. The... Do you remember the um at the the second season finale, the Jem'Hadar, where the the actual name of the episode, yes. not the actual Jem'Hadar, uh, the Eris, I think. Are oh, Eris? okay. That's, so that's a separate. They, that's a Vorda. Yeah. So they're kind of the in betweens between the founders and the Jem'Hadar. Usually, okay. Yeah. All right, and now the I... Vorta um, are a concept that I think they come back pretty soon. Actually, okay. they weren't in the third season at all, and they they kind of become an important, yeah. They they do become a very important thing in the sort of the ethos of, of Deep Space Nine. Um, but w- what this makes me think is, you know, there's a there, if you talk about the Gemhadar, and there's always a, a, a discussion I think among Star Trek fans about 
you know, is the Jem'Hadar the most sort of anti-Star Trek thing that, that Deep Space Nine did? Because, you know, again, Star Trek is a, is a, is a franchise that believes in the sanctity of all life and believes that everybody can communicate with everyone else yeah. and get along. And the Jem'Hadar seemed to be programmed from birth to be destroying, killing machines. And, you know, how is that in line with the Star Trek ethos? Yeah. Now, I think that this episode kind of says that it's not that the Jem'Hadar are genetically programmed to be killing machines although they might be but i also think it has something to do with the ketracel white because the yeah. the jemhadar commander whose name is some garanat yeah, 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 or something yeah. uh seems like a pretty reasonable guy well that's you know that's the question um a- and i don't know if the commander is going to reappear again because he is a pretty big mystery as to why is he you know they don't find out they don't even really come close to finding out why this worked for him yeah um he's just a genetic anomaly he's a mutation i mean that happens you know and but is that is it as simple as that it's it's left you know that's something that bashir suggests but it's not like they come to any definitive conclusions about that and frankly you know the commander leaves on such a note that he could you know they could bring him back i feel like you know, bringing this up only to, you know, never have this question again is a little... He runs for Federation president in season oh, six. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, he doesn't win, but, you know. But, you know, the, the the point is, you know, the gears are turning in Bashir's mind. He started on a project that he wasn't able to finish, you know. I don't think that he's this is the last he's going to think about that idea. This is certainly not the last Jem'Hadar we're going to meet. No, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, this does feel like an episode that does introduce some points that it's going to do. We're going to deal with those later. Like it's putting out some stuff. I mean, this still is still early in the fourth season. Yes, that's very true. And I think the fourth season is probably the season where the show really becomes what it becomes for the rest of the run. Okay. Uh, Well, I. I want to talk about the Worf subplot because I think it ties in very nicely with the theme of the episode because, you know, Worf is trying to fit in on Deep Space Nine. He's trying to figure out, you know, how he works here. He's having a lot of trouble. He doesn't really he doesn't really trust Odo, which is interesting. He thinks that Odo's not doing his job because Odo is not doing his job in the way that Worf would. And and well, but at the end of the episode, Cisco says there's there's. I think in a certain sense, this episode is probably not written as well as it could be, at least sometimes, because I think it does make subtext text sometimes. I, I wrote mean, the line down, yeah. There's there's the episode at the ve- there's the line in the middle of the episode where basically O'Brien says, "Look, you're being naive, Bashir." Okay, and then which is kind of what everyone says about the next generation, and then and we've said it as much about the Federation, and then there's a line at the end of the episode where Cisco says to Worf. You know, oh, well, DS9 is shades of gray, you know, and it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> this isn't some deep space franchise. Babylon 5 means something. Um, that that was their response to that line, wasn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, because that was in, like, the second season. Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, I think that, that, you know, there is something there which is saying, yes, Deep Space Nine is a different show, and not everything is black and white, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, for Worf, it... You know, it was funny because actually the first note that I wrote when, uh, you know, Worf appeared on screen is, wow, it's really weird to see Worf. You know, I haven't gotten quite used to that. And and it turns out Worf hasn't gotten it, quite well, used to it. Well, you know, it does make – I mean they talk about this in the episode. But yeah, Worf was for, for a good chunk of his career 
was working on a place where every single person was a federation, you know, you know, you know, was was in Starfleet, if not just a federation citizen. Yeah. Where, you know, he knew he could trust everybody. He knew that, you know, somebody he knew that everybody was kind of held accountable to someone. And there was a very nice chain of command that everybody followed. And, you know, that if somebody didn't follow it, it would cause such a major thing. And, you know, you could trust your captain if he told you something and he just said, you know, just trust me on this. Sure. Odo's trying to do that. Odo is, an, you know, and they also, you know, a lot of this is Worf completely unable to understand. Well, if you know what kind of a criminal quark is, why do you keep him on the station? Because, number one, in on the Enterprise, you could eliminate undesirables. Oh, yeah. You know, whether that, you know, people who are, there is no such thing as somebody working a criminal, you know, the. Guinan is not going to run, run run a smuggling ring, you know, and but but one of the things that this episode, you know, Quark is a very is a known criminal. I mean, they well, they Quark, use that phrase, but you know, known in the sense that Odo knows everything about his game. You know, he's Quark is very few surprises, and it's really good to know that your head, you know, to know everything about the center of criminal activity. You know, well, that's exactly area. right. I think that that you know this episode yeah. does go a long way towards explaining why they tolerate Quark because, yeah. of course, Quark is a is a way for them to to get at the bigger fish. Yeah, and you frankly, know, Odo, you know, Quark leaves. He's going to be replaced by somebody that doesn't respect Odo as at all, and you know, won't work with Odo. Can't be persuaded. You know, everybody knows how to get Quark to do what you want at this point. Arresting him would mean having to start from scratch. Yes, and Worf doesn't realize that. I think that yeah. you know what what Cisco's line at the end of the episode is making is making explicit what what maybe should have been implicit. But anyway, is that Deep Space Nine operates very differently than 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 a Federation starship operates very differently from the Enterprise, obviously. And yes, Odo doesn't go after Quark all the time. Now, yes, there's a line that Quark can't cross. I think yeah. that if if Odo saw Quark pull out a phaser and kill someone, yeah. oh, you know, Quark's getting arrested. But but there's also but, the thing that we all know that Quark would never do that too. Right. Like that that's right. the other thing. Like I And I, that's I, the, that's the thing too which I actually kind of like about it is that Worf's introduction in the show is handled very interestingly and I think you see elements of that in this episode because he doesn't know these characters. Yeah. And they don't know Worf. And so we know Worf. We know these characters. So we kind of know the score here. And we can see why there's some tension and why they're maybe not understanding each other as well as they should yeah. be. Maybe they will in the future. But at, at, the, at the beginning of Worf's journey on Deep Space Nine, you know, he, all he sees of Quark is, here's someone who's committing crimes. We need to arrest him. Yeah. Without knowing all of the context, without knowing the relationship that Quark has with the rest of the, the, the senior staff, without knowing the ways in which Odo uses Quark to get at yeah. larger things. And frankly, too, I think that you know, when O'Brien calls Bashir naive, to a certain sense, I think that you could also call Worf naive in this episode. But at the same time, you know, we also... I think Worf is completely justified in mistrusting Odo because here all oh you know Odo has earned the point where he can say to Kira or you know uh, or Cisco you know listen I need the runabout I can't really talk about it you know okay well you know in the past you know because Odo has demonstrated time and time again he's going to use his power responsibly he's going to use his authority responsibly and he's ultimately going to do the you know 
Some, you know, he ultimately has a reason for all of that. And if he isn't telling you something, well, he has a reason too for that. Worf sees somebody who's not a Federation citizen who's letting... Not a Starfleet officer. Yeah, not a Starfleet officer get, let Quark get away with all these things. How does he know Odo is irrevocably corrupt? You know, I we know he isn't, but Worf doesn't know him from Adam. Well, I think it's an interesting question. I think that there's some part of that which is true. But yeah. I also think that it goes into Worf's... You know, straight lacedness. I, I, I think yeah, that, that it's. You know, I, I think that Worf. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that criticism of it, just because I think that Worf should realize that Cisco is not going to tolerate a rogue element being in control of security. But how he but, doesn't know Cisco? Well, he's. But if you're. But if you're making the point that a, yeah. a Starfleet officer is always trusted, well, you know, and I mean, I, I guess I'm maybe gotta, not mes- maybe going that far, especially considering how. Worf has seen a few Starfleet officers who have been corrupted in certain ways or making, you know, errors. I, I just th- I, I think it's less about Worf not trusting Odo and more it's about a, well, I would say more about yeah. Worf seeing that Odo is not doing what Worf himself would do. In general, and the, Worf is always yeah. someone who thinks that he knows exactly what to do. I don't think it really has much to do with Odo. In general, it's a sign that Worf isn't. At this point, the best fit for DS9 in a lot of ways. But I think this episode, you know, I mean, he's a main cast member at this point. He is going to grow into it. He's going to learn stuff. Yes, but... I mean, let's be let's be very honest. I think that Odo has less reason to tr- trust yeah. Worf than Worf has to trust Odo. Well, which, and, and, oh, which, which is Odo's point. You know, number he says, you know, look, I don't report to you. He has no... And remember, too, that Odo has had... More than mm-hmm. one Federation security officer yeah. appear, and he's had more than one. He had to yeah, go to Cisco in that episode and say, "Listen, what's going on here? Am I still in charge of yeah. security?" I think Odo's a little gun shy, and he, I, and I mean, here's somebody that's you know, and this isn't even a Federation security officer at this point. You yeah, know? yeah, he isn't even wearing gold. That's you know, and I think that's you know, Odo's point is basically, listen, mind your own damn business. You know, do your job. Don't do my job. I got this. I mean, that's. Uh, Odo is, you know, yes, maybe Odo shouldn't have been quite as cantankerous and, you know, maybe he could have explained better, like, listen, I'm trying to, this is part of a much bigger case, so let me, you know, which I am investigating. You know, maybe he could have explained a little, but Odo's big point is, you know, this is none of your fucking business, yeah. you know. Do, let me do my job. Leave me alone. Why are you, you know, eyes on your own paper? And I think I think Worf did learn his lesson. Yeah, which is which is why I say you know yeah, at at this at the beginning of this episode he isn't a great fit for DS Nine, but he has some growing up to do. Maybe he has uh, yeah. Some, oh, he has some stuff to learn. You know, there is a you know this is. Oh, oh, I'm honestly actually thinking a little bit about Dax having her you know intern and you know how he's all surprised that you know she's playing Dom Jod. You know, she's, yeah. You know. And, and part of the point is that, well, you know, there is this by the book thing, you know, but here, this is where actual people are living and thing nobody goes by the book in real life and you have to wing it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think it's also it's also interesting that that Kira is only one of the other per- people that Worf has interacted with so far on any sort of level, because in the first part of the episode, yeah. you know, um, you know, Worf and Kira are kind of sitting together. 
So it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting that there's there's some tension there too. I think because you know here is someone who's above him in the chain of command. She's the 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 first officer of Deep Space Nine. She's you know she can give Worf orders, but she's yeah. not in Starfleet. And I think that if you look at this and you say Worf is someone who's very comfortable with the chain of command, Worf is very comfortable with understanding the black and white yeah. stuff. I mean that's the whole point of the the line at the end of the episode yeah, yeah, yeah. that he might have some trouble integrating with Kira as well. I don't know. Mm. Um, one more thing I want to mention before we wrap this episode up is just kind of a meta plot check in. They have that up that scene kind of in the halfway point of the episode where they're all in the wardroom talking about the the Klingons again, and uh, apparently the Klingons are looking to invade Bajor. I didn't catch so that. Oh. That's not good. <laughs> I you know I, I I'm worried about the Klingons, but at the same time, at the same time, out of all of the plot threads that they've thrown up at this point, so Cardassia, the founders, uh, Bajor, the emissary, these or I find the Klingons the least interesting. You're going to have a fun time with the fourth season then. Okay. Um, <laughs> of course, you know, really, it's only been one episode and a couple of lines here and there. So really they haven't had time to do anything interesting and they're a known villain at this point you know they're a known yeah. quantity at this point you know it's not like there are mysteries behind the klingon to the degree that there are mysteries behind the founders for example i i have never made a secret about the fact that i don't really like yeah. klingons i don't think they're very interesting there are episodes, Klingon episodes of The Next Generation I like, but more because they're good episodes, not because they're necessarily about Klingons. I don't I, get the Klingon love, I although like, I think I can yeah. understand it. But I will say that, and I think I may have said this before, that maybe when we were talking about Klingons in The Next Generation, that the Klingons on Deep Space Nine, when they come in, they do interesting things with the Klingons in Deep Space Nine, and I think they make them much more interesting and much more dynamic than they ever were in the next generation. Okay, good. Cause yeah, my worry is that, well, we've already seen a major Klingon arc and, and, you know, Worf was intimately connected within, you know, in that. And, you know, what can we do really, you know, haven't we dealt with enough? So, you know, not that I don't trust that the show is going to find new, interesting wrinkles or places to take it. You know, I guess it's just nice to know that. And I will say they just, haven't done it yet but we're three episodes into the season yeah we're three episodes into the season this is something that is new and you know there there is a payoff to this which is pretty damn great yay doesn't come for seasons and seasons but it's pretty good and it 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 completely pays off i think Worf's complete evolution from when he first appeared on the next generation Okay. To like sort of the end of Deep Space Nine, and it's really good. So okay, just look forward to that. Does he kill Kalos? Yeah, he does. Thank you for fucking spoiling <laughs> that. Can't you just be like, oh, I don't know, like you normally do? He doesn't kill Kalos. Eric, I don't want to know either way. Uh, well, if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes we just talked about, if you would like to yell at us for not thinking that The Visitor is the best thing ever, uh, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Please go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and be like the uh, you know dozen or so other cool people that give us some money every month. Our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is TrekAboutShow. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for TrekAbout and even maybe TrekAbout Presents. If you listen to that, it's pretty good. And if you don't listen to that, listen to that. Listen to Richard.
doing a lot of listening right now. That's okay. I think, you know, we've talked a while, so it's time for us to listen now. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about indiscretion and rejoined. So... Richard's giving me a blank look. I feel like, you know, maybe it's a data episode and like data pops apart and they have to rejoin him together. Could be. We'll just have to find out next week.